Happy Mother's Day. I was uh, yesterday spending time in prayer and uh, and uh, just praying about what God wanted to minister today um, in our church. And um, ideally, um, on Mother's Day, you like to have a message that ministers directly to women and mothers. And um, But one thing you have to understand about Mother's Day, and it's very much like Father's Day, is there is a lot of mixed emotions. In fact, you'll probably find no time of the year. In fact, Mother's Day and Father's Day um, are kind of holidays that are slightly um, designed and uh, artificial in some way. But it is a day that we want to honor the mothers. We want to honor fathers on Father's Day. But um, at the same time, there's a mixture of emotions um, that are just very wide-ranging. Uh, there are some people that um, it's the most exciting time of the year. They're very excited to honor their mothers, and and um, and I think biblically that's what God wants us to do. And and um, my hope is that everybody has a situation where that's the case. Uh, sometimes there's feelings of loss because um, mom isn't around anymore, and so it's very emotional in that way. And Sometimes there are those that didn't have a relationship with their mother, whether it be through abandonment or whether it be through emotional distance or um, sometimes it's through sickness um, at a very young age. And so there's just a wide range of emotions. In fact, uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day, um, you see some people, it may be the only time of the year that they don't go to church because it's so emotionally difficult on that day that they don't. Um, same thing with Father's Day. And um, sometimes they're difficult days, and so I'm praying to the Lord, and I don't always feel like I have to minister the message for a certain um, day that we celebrate. And so I want to know, Lord, what is your message for this church and uh, for those who are listening online for today? And so I prayed and uh, studied for about 15 straight hours. And uh, at the end of my 15 straight hours, I was frustrated because I had no message, I had no scripture, I had nothing. And uh, I realized um, through experience that God does this to me quite often. And I think it's because God wants me to dig a little deeper and God wants me to have the word that he has for everybody. And so I went to bed about 2 or 3 a.m., and I said, Lord, it's in your hands. If you want to embarrass me, embarrass me. If not, that's fine. And uh, so I woke up at 6 a.m., and uh, God just randomly put this message in my heart. I woke up, and he just uh, put the word in my heart. He said, hey, you know, the woman who had the issue of blood, um, she was dealing very heavily with guilt and shame. And uh, you need to minister to women who are struggling with guilt and shame. And not only women, but there are lots of people that are struggling with guilt and shame. And uh, so I was curious, and so I began to study at about 6 a.m. my message for today. So if you would join me in Luke chapter 8, 
verse 40 to 56. The title of my message is, Out of Isolation. Out of Isolation. Now, how many listening today, how many in the sanctuary here are going to be very excited when we're out of isolation? And um, we haven't been in isolation for very long compared to the woman in the story. She's been in isolation for 12 years in quarantine. And um, so she's coming out of isolation. And a lot of people say, well, it's going to be different when we get out of isolation. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I can't wait until isolation is over. And uh, this might be the perfect time to minister this message to those who are Um, And this is who I'm ministering to today, those who are physically, emotionally, and spiritually in isolation. So let's read together. It says, Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. There was a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader. So Jairus is the leader, one of the leaders of the synagogue, very well-known person here. It says, he came and he fell at Jesus' feet. Now, now begin to think about this story as we go along. He's a well-known man. He's a religious leader in the synagogue. Uh, they mention his name probably because people would recognize who he is. And uh, he actually fell at Jesus' feet, which is very unusual for a person with his social standing. Um, he fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him. Come to my house, to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Do you know how big of a crowd you have to have to almost be crushed? Okay, you're talking about like at a concert type of a crowd where people get crushed and actually die. It says literally... He was almost crushed. There were so many people around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This woman had been bleeding internally. Um, In fact, if you look this up, for lack of a better word, it's menstruation. It's bleeding. uh, Feminine bleeding is what this is. I just want to make that very clear. So for 12 years, she's had this issue. And it says, but no one could heal her. Uh, This has been written by a medical doctor, Luke. And Luke is very unique because when he writes in Greek, he's actually giving medical diagnosis saying she is incurable. Okay? There's nothing they can do to heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And this is about to be a very nice moment before Peter pops up again. Okay, he always ruins great moments, I think. (laughs) When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Somebody touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. At the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, this is the most important word of the story here, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, 
the synagogue leader. Now remember, he's still going to Jairus' house. It's a part of the story for some reason. While still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. So they're mourning. Now they start laughing. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. That's kind of hard not to tell people, right? (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Lord, I know who you want to minister to today, Lord, and I pray that you do it, Lord. Don't let me stand in your way, Lord God, minister through me. Um, Lord, let me hide, let me not be seen, Lord, but let your words be revealed to those who are hurting with shame and guilt and isolation, Lord. Bless this message today, Lord. Let it accomplish what you've sent it to accomplish, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Hallelujah. I was reading through um, trying to figure out the diagnosis of this woman's bleeding And as I was reading through trying to figure out what her diagnosis was, I'm not exactly sure what her diagnosis was, but I came across this article from a group of doctors that minister to a certain type of ailment. And um, it's very prominent in third world countries, and they're usually not able to have surgery for it in a lot of areas. So these doctors minister to this, and I found a letter from a 14-year-old girl that really... Uh, kind of touched my heart. And um, the article actually was entitled, which is why it came up when I was searching, uh, it came up a 21st century version of the woman um, with the issue of blood. And so I really intrigued me, so I read her story, and it says, imagine this. This is a true story from a 14-year-old girl. You are a 14-year-old girl. You've never been to school. You were married to a man at the age of 13 and became pregnant six months later. Now you're in labor. Labor has already lasted for three days. And at midday on the fourth day of labor, you pass a stillborn child. I want you to imagine that. This is a very, very young girl. Um, she's married at a very young age, pregnant almost immediately. Um, goes through the entire process of carrying a baby, goes through hard labor for several days in a third world country. And now on the fourth day of labor, you pass a stillborn child. Relieved, yes, thinking the madness and the torture of her pregnancy is over. But on the fifth day, you discover to your horror that you have no control over your bodily functions. No matter how much you wash, no matter No matter how hard you try, you just have no control. You cannot get rid of the odor on your body. Now, what's happening here is a condition where there's damage done internally 
And being in a third world country, they have no control over their bowels, no control over their urinary tract, and there's damage actually done to their body. Your husband is disgusted with your odor. He cannot stand you. Your presence is unendurable. You were supposed to become the mother of his firstborn son. Instead, this has happened. It must be some punishment for something you have done, you think. So he throws you out of the house. Your parents take you in, but they can't stand the sight and the smell of you any more than he could. They make you stay in a shack at the edge of a family compound. Your condition does not improve. With no control over your body, you always smell very bad. You're put out again. The time Now it's time to fend for yourself. You're 14, you're illiterate, you have no skills, and you want to die, and you think that your life is over. This girl is in a desperate situation, and she doesn't know what to do. There are approximately three to four million women who deal with this condition she has, and it has a name called obstetric fistula. The fistula is simply a hole between an internal organ and the outside of your body that should not exist. There are two primary causes in women in developing countries, childbirth and sexual violence causing traumatic um, fistula. The impoverished girl thinks her life is over, and quite possibly uh, she thinks it's her fault. Now I want you to imagine the life of this girl, 14 years old. Uh, She's illiterate. She's never been to school. She thinks her life is over. Uh, Basically, not even her own family wanted her. Her husband did not want her. She's dealing with the loss of a stillborn child, plus dealing with this condition. And I would have to agree that that is a modern-day example of what this woman was going through. Uh, This woman, um, for 12 years, had dealt with this issue that she probably had nothing, um, no say-so in the condition. She wasn't the cause of it. It just was a condition that she had, and she was uh, equal. And I'll get into her story in a second. But I just want you to think about guilt and shame for a minute. I was looking through some statistics against women. And uh, this is a great day to address these things because all of us have a mother. And um, all of us um, have women in our life that God has asked us to honor. And so I'm looking at some of these statistics against women. It says it's estimated that 35% of women worldwide have experienced physical or sexual violence by a partner or a non-partner at some point in their life. 35% if that's true. And I don't know what the percentage is. But can you imagine the stain of guilt? In fact, the best way to explain guilt is, um, have you ever had a shirt that you really liked, but it had a stain right on the front? And it's frustrating. It makes you angry. You say to yourself, oh, man, I love that shirt, but I can't wear it because when I wear it, you're ashamed of the fact that there is a stain on the front. Now, imagine that's your life. Imagine you're one of these women that have been assaulted by an uncle or insulted by a father or insulted by a neighbor, or maybe it's somebody you were dating assaulted you, and you have to live with the stain. You have to live with the guilt And part of you says, it's my fault. Part of you says, it's not my fault. 
and you have to live maybe like her. She's been living 12 years with the shame of her condition. And so I'm just looking through the numbers here, and it says some national studies show that up to 70% of women have suffered some type of physical or sexual violence in their lifetime. Adult women, get this, adult women account for half of all human trafficking, adult women. When you add girls to that, it's 70% of human trafficking. 70% of human trafficking is adult and young women. I want you to imagine the conditions that causes a woman to get caught in human trafficking. Usually they've been abused by a family member. Usually they've been damaged or not taken care of at a young age. And here you are, the, the average woman... Um, 90% of victims of trafficking for sexual exploitation is 98% women. The average age that a woman enters sexual exploitation and sex trade is 12 to 14 years old. According to the U.S. State Department, human trafficking is one of the greatest challenges that we face in this century, maybe the top challenge. We face in this century. And I want you to imagine the guilt that these women, and you say, man, that, that doesn't affect me. But I want you to imagine the guilt and the shame that these women have to wear their entire life because of these situations. And a lot of these situations, a lot of these girls are runaways. Um, they didn't have a good home environment. They were abused in their home, so they were looking for somewhere else to be taken care of. And there's just a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. In fact, shame is not always the same as guilt. Guilt sometimes has an element that I did something. Shame, uh, by contrast, could be something as something like a disfigured face. Um, it's, it could be something permanent that's a part of who you are. It could be choices you made. Could be the way uh, how you were born. It could be how you were treated. Could be uh, things that you've discovered about yourself. But get this: shame says, "I am defective. I am damaged. I am broken. I am flawed. I am dirty. I am ugly. I am impure. I'm disgusting. I am unlovable. I am weak. I am pitiful. I am insignificant. I am worthless, and I am unwanted." And I want you to begin to think about the shame that's around us in this world. And it's not just women. There's also a lot of men that have a lot of shame. And as we begin to look at this, I want to plug this into the story of this girl. It says in Luke 80, or Luke 8, verse 40, it says, And now Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, and for they were all waiting for him, and there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. Now, they don't just tell the story of this girl that had been in isolation and shame for 12 years. It starts with the story of a man named Jairus. And Jairus is the leader of the synagogue. Jairus is a very well-known man. And um, Jairus, by the fact that they mentioned his name, He's very, very, very well respected. He's a lead, one of the leaders of the synagogue. He's one that everybody in town knew 
who Jairus was. And it says that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet and implored him to come to his house for his little girl. And I want you to see that in this culture, for a man who is the leader of the synagogue and that respected and that big of a name in that town, it was complete embarrassment and humiliation for him to bow down at the feet of a traveling teacher like Jesus. And so he was very desperate for his little girl who he loved so much. And I want you to imagine this little girl that's 12 years old. Now, do you think it's an accident that she was 12 years old and the woman suffered for 12 years? The Bible's trying to contrast these two girls' lives, trying to contrast the one that um, came pulling on his garment while he was trying to heal this man's little girl. Now, I know this girl was loved. I know that her father loved her so much that he was in the dirt begging Jesus, please help me, I love my little girl. How many know that this girl was really loved by her father? And she probably, if you went into her room, she probably had everything in that room that a little girl would have whose daddy has loved her her entire 12 years. She was a very loved little girl. It was his daughter, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says it was his only daughter. And so do you see how much he loved her? And I think that's why he's contrasting the stories. Because on his way to help his little girl, Jesus helped his little girl. And I think if you miss that, you're going to miss the story. It said he was desperate. He had only one daughter. Twelve years of age, she was dying. And Jesus, the people pressed around him. And while he was going to heal this little girl, it says that there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and she had spent all of her living on physicians. She could not be healed by anyone. She had a discharge of blood which means that she had an uncontrollable menstrual flow, which meant not only was she sick, she also had probably severe chronic pain. So I want you to imagine the pain that this woman has endured for 12 years. I want you to imagine the embarrassment that she's endured for 12 years. She was probably totally unable to have children. Um, And she would have also been considered under Jewish law, which required a person to not be menstruating for seven straight days in order to be ceremonially clean. You say, well, why is that important? Because she wasn't even allowed to join uh, into the services. She wasn't allowed to be touched by anybody. Um, She had to be completely quarantined for 12 years, which means she couldn't be hugged. You couldn't lay a hand on her to pray for her. You couldn't touch her. And so we have guidelines for re-entry from quarantine in our church. 
And some of those guidelines are you can't shake hands, you can't hug somebody, you can't lay hands on somebody, you have to wear a mask. There's all these different things we have for quarantine, and and we think it's the end of the world because we've done it for two months or however long it's been. But I want you to put yourself in her position 12 years. 12 years, they couldn't touch her, they couldn't hug her, they couldn't love her, she couldn't be a part of the community. Her whole desire to one day have a family was gone, to have a husband was gone. She probably had some embarrassing uh, qualities, qualities about her, how she smelled, how she looked. All of those things were affected by her condition, and she was very much living in shame. And I want you to, you have to really feel for 12 years of isolation what that would actually feel like. And I want you to also look at the fact that she was not only lonely, an outcast, not touched by anybody, but her situation also was very private, very very much a feminine privacy issue And it says that she had went everywhere. In fact, I went through about 10 different cures. I'm not going to bore you with it here, but about 10 different cures that they prescribed for her condition. And let's just say that it's a private condition. And by going through these physicians to try to find a cure, she probably regularly was humiliated because it being such a private issue that she had a problem with. And so she had been through years of humiliation, years of shame, years of um, not being loved, not being cared for. And, and I just want you to put that, place that in your life. Because there are things in life that are beyond our control and things that are in our control. And we do the same thing sometimes. We have so much shame. We have so much guilt. We have so many things that we're dealing with that we isolate ourselves and when and we become uh we have this condition like she has where we feel like nobody will ever love us nobody will ever care about us nobody will ever um be able to look past the shame and the guilt and and so she's really dealing with a lot of things here and so she um she doesn't have a name Did you notice in the contrast of the story, everybody knows Jairus? Uh, You say Jairus, everybody knows who it is. That's why they mention his name. Had everybody not known who he was, they wouldn't mention the name. And so he was very prominent. He had a name. Um, She doesn't have a name. That tells me that she was not normally around. She was not normally in the community. She was not normally around people. She was isolated. And and there are people that are listening to this message right now. You don't even uh, want to attend a church because you're so isolated. You're so ashamed of things that have happened in your life. Um, you're not even comfortable being around people. And, there's, and, and, and the shame is just deepening. And this woman was that type of a person. She had no name, no recognition of who she was. She wasn't special to anybody. She wasn't special to the community. She wasn't special to anybody. She was a nameless person. She's totally invisible to everybody. 
Now, do you think that was totally because of her condition and totally because of other people? I would say a lot of it was also by choice from her. She decided within herself that, hey, this is how I need to live my life because of my condition. And she willfully became uh, somebody by choice who did not want to be known. And out of shame, she lived her life. Now, both of them need Jesus equally. Would you say that one or the other didn't need him equally? Because Jairus had to have Jesus. Jairus had to, whatever was holding him back from meeting Jesus, he had to get over it very quickly because his daughter was so close to dying that Jesus stopped for a split second. All the woman had to do was touch him and she was healed. And so that couldn't have taken very long. So on his way to see his sick daughter, it had gotten to the point with Jairus, the reason why he was so desperate was she was seconds away from dying. So in a way, you could argue that Jairus needed Jesus more than she did because she wasn't about to die and his daughter was about to die. But they both needed Jesus equally. She had, she needed Jesus to deal with her shame. He needed Jesus because he loved his daughter and Jesus was his only hope for his family. And if you notice, there are two kinds of people in this story. In fact, I've always said, when you go out to minister to people about their need for Jesus, there are always two kinds of people. There's the one who you walk up to and they say, why do I need Jesus? And you have to spend a lot of time trying to convince them why they need Jesus. And so you'll spend all of your time explaining why they need Jesus. Why do I need him? Because I have money. Why do I need him? Because I have a job. Why do I need him? Because I'm nice looking. Why do I need him? Because my bills are paid. And they have everything they need, and you have to find a way to say, you need Jesus. And the Bible calls those mountains. The Bible says that mountain has to be knocked down for them to ever find the Lord. And that means sometimes in your life, everything will come crashing down because you need Jesus as much as this woman needs Jesus. She's the other kind of person that comes to the Lord. There are some people that I go out and I begin to minister to, talk to them about Jesus, and they say, they don't say, why do I need Jesus? Their question is, why would he even want me? Why would Jesus want me? And she is that type of person. She's one that says, why would he want me? I'm nothing. I'm worthless. There's nothing about my life that's good. There's nobody knows my name. Nobody's ever heard of me. I've been living in silence. Not even my own family wants to be around me. Everybody's ashamed of me. And this is the one that says, why would Jesus want me? And can I be honest with you? The person who says, why would Jesus want me? is closer to the Lord than the one that says, why do I need Jesus? She's in better condition than the leader of the synagogue because she is wondering, why would he want me? And so you begin to see this woman coming to Jesus 
And she is representing the shame. And it says that she, with a crowd of people that is able to crush Jesus, it's so big, she finds a way. In fact, the Bible says she clasps on to his garment. In fact, there's fringes that were on his prayer garment there. And she grasps onto it and just squeezes it. And it says she clasps it. And the the actual word means she just grasps it and won't let it go. And so Jesus, with everybody around him, says, Who touched me? And she was instantly healed. He didn't say a word yet. And so what she was doing, what you may not recognize here, um, is that word it actually comes from uh, Malachi 4.2. It says, the son of righteousness will rise up with healing in his wings, which that word is fringes. And so in Malachi 4.2, they knew that the Messiah, when he came, he would be so full of the Spirit of God that even the fringes of his prayer shawl would have healing in it. In fact, you see four or five places in the Bible where Jesus is going through towns and they're trying to grab his fringes because they know there's healing in his wings or his fringes. And so this woman sat in isolation and somehow she's seen the message of the Bible that says there is healing in his fringes. And so she comes out of her isolation Now remember, Jairus, the reason why Jairus wouldn't come to Jesus is totally different than the reason she wouldn't come to Jesus. Jairus wouldn't come to Jesus because he was well-respected. Jairus wouldn't come to Jesus because he was leader of the synagogue, very religious, very much known to be a leader. In fact, the reason, if you really look into it, most likely is pride. The only reason that pride was destroyed was because of Jairus' incredible need to have his daughter healed. And the faith of Jairus was great because he found Jesus and said, come to my house and heal my daughter. But the faith of the woman was so much greater. She didn't ask Jesus to come where she was. She didn't ask Jesus to even say a word over her. Her faith was so great, she realized that all of my shame, all of my isolation, all of my pain, all of this can be healed if I can just grab. She had one little verse, healing in his wings, healing in his fringes. And so she grabbed a hold of it, and instantly she was healed by her faith. And Jesus is asking us today. He knows you have shame. He knows you have guilt. He knows things have been done to you by other people that you couldn't help. And he wants to take away the shame. He knows that there are things that you yourself have done and everybody already knows about it. Everybody already knows you're guilty. Everybody already knows you've done it. Everybody knows uh, all these things about you. And what Jesus wants to do, it says that she touched him and instantly all of the shame, guilt, all these things dried up because how do I know that? He says, go in peace. That word shalom means you're completely whole now. Not just physical. 
She went away completely whole. Shalom. Full healing. And you say, well, what? What is happening here? Jesus is perfectly willing to heal Jairus' little girl, but he postponed it because he wanted to heal his little girl. You say, well, how do I know that? How do I know that that was his little girl? Because she didn't have a father there to plead for her. She didn't have anybody there that loved her. She didn't have anybody there that cared about her. She didn't have anybody there that was still with her in her shame. She was all alone. She used all of her money to try to find healing. She was on the outcasts of society. Nobody knew her name. She was all alone. She had no father there with her. Why was her father not there with her? And it says that Jesus... After Peter said, Jesus said, somebody touched me. And Peter says, well, the crowds are all around you. They're pressing against you. Obviously, somebody touched you. And, you know, I could just dismiss that and go past that. Because I'm going to tell you there are two types of personalities. There are personalities that are mountains. And they're arrogant and they're proud and they're confident and they know that they need God to humble them and they need, know they need God to, to break down all that confidence and, 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 and all those things about them that are just great. They're nice looking, they have money, they have good jobs and God's trying to show that person their need for God, but those kind of people never know what it feels like to have shame. They have a whole different set of problems that are much more difficult for God to reach them. But Peter has no idea what it feels like to be ashamed. He doesn't know what the guilt and the shame and the isolation and the mental uh, agony that this woman is through, and so he doesn't sense her. He doesn't sense the weak, the broken, the the one that's been 12 years without a hand to touch and love her. But Jesus did. You know, Jesus noticed, of all the people that were around, he noticed that she touched him. And so Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And Peter, who's the most insensitive person in the world, says, everybody's touching you. And he goes, no, there's one special person that's touched me. And can I tell you, if you're in isolation, shame, guilt, you need to pay attention to this woman because she wanted God to heal her and she wanted to slip away unnoticed. But Jesus would not allow that. He wouldn't allow her to go away and be obscure. He wouldn't let her go away without a name. He wouldn't let her go away and not be noticed because for 12 years, nobody noticed her. Nobody cared about her. Nobody loved her. But with the whole crowd of people, there's only one person he noticed. And it was her. And so he says, who touched me? 
And the crowd was looking around and they were saying, we have no idea. Nobody knows. We don't know. Nobody knows. Peter's like everybody is. And finally, because she knew she couldn't go unnoticed, she said, I did. And when I touched the hem of your garment, I was completely healed and I've been 12 years struggling. And Jesus stops and I told you the most important word that's in this whole thing is he stops and he looks her in the eye has everybody looking at her and he says daughter I'm not aware that he calls anybody else that How do you think that felt? Hmm. I would say her dad and her mom abandoned her. Like this little 14-year-old girl we were talking about. She had no family. Nobody to love her. Nobody to care about her. And Jesus uses a word he doesn't use other places. Jairus had his little girl that he loved. She probably had the perfect bedroom. All the latest things that a little girl who was loved would have. But Jesus points out in the middle of the story, I have my little girl too. And they say that this story was probably added because she probably became a part of the early church. And so he says, daughter, and you say, well, man, why is that important? Because when you need help, when you need God to help you, all of the other religions say, be better. Change who you are. Take your sins, get rid of them, be better, and then he'll show you his love. And Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus... Does the opposite. Jesus gives her a new identity. Every other religion says change. Be a good person, he'll accept you. But Jesus reverses it. Says, no, now you're my daughter. Now you're my child. Now you're mine. And you say, well, man, that means nothing to me. Why, why is that important? Why are you emotionally affected by that? It's because you, like Peter, don't understand it. But if you're one of these women who have been sexually exploited since they were young girls, then you understand. I've got a new identity. If you're one of these who have been abused, if you're one of these who... Their entire life in silence have been um, abused and harmed and never loved and have went through years of agony. And Jesus says, daughter, and gives you a new identity and the shame, the guilt just falls away. And he begins to love you in your disfigured, disfigured state. 
You say, well, that's good for all the little people. But understand, we're all in a disfigured state. We're all in a state of sin. She represents all of us. We are disfigured by sin. That's why Mother's Day and Father's Day is so hard, because we're all disfigured. Our relationships have been disfigured. Our lives have been disfigured by sin. Why do I preach so hard about sin? Because it's disfigured us. It's caused us to be ashamed and full of guilt and feel all of these emotions and broken relationships. And Jesus says, son, daughter, and he picks her up from her shame. She's looking down and fearing and shaking and trembling and he raises her head up and he says, daughter. And you can almost sense that he finally sees the daughter that he loves, and she finally senses that I have a dad who loves me. And you can just see God making this woman whole again. And you say, well, man, what if God doesn't heal me? Can I tell you something? Jesus healed everybody. You say, are you saying Jesus heals everybody, or does he heal some? Now listen to me very carefully here. Jesus heals everybody. You say, well, how is that possible? Now I've got you, Chad. I've got you right where I want you. You said that, and somebody didn't get healed. Can I tell you something? Healing is a question not of whether he will or he won't. He will. The question is when. Do you know that... Everybody that goes to heaven will not have a disease, will not have a sickness, will not have cancer, will not have, will not be handicapped anymore, will not have the bleeding this woman had, will not have emotional damage. Everything has been purchased already. You will be healed. In fact, Hebrews says some people have experienced the power of the world to come. That means my healing is already purchased and it's already waiting for me in glory. I'm very close to my healing, but God may choose to give it to me in this world. You know, God may choose to allow me to have healing today. He may instantly heal me like this woman, but one thing that is for sure, in God's timing, eventually everybody is going to be healed. And God may heal today, he may heal tomorrow. God can heal at any point because it says the son of righteousness has healing in his wings. He's going to bring healing with him. And you say, man, can I trust God to heal me? You can trust God to heal you. God can heal you today, tomorrow, but eventually you will be healed because healing is in heaven and it's already been purchased. It's a matter of timing. And so this woman realizes this. She receives emotional healing. She receives spiritual healing. And yes, she received physical healing. And she received the biggest thing of all. She received a dad that day. Because Jesus said, this is my daughter. Praise the Lord. I'm going to close with this. If the worship team will come up here, we're going to close on a song. I was reading a um, reading a um, illustration. In fact, I didn't have a chance to read this book. 
I was reading an illustration from somebody, and I'm not going to say the name of the person because I haven't read his book, but it was a very famous atheist. In fact, he was, um, I know his name, he's one of the most famous atheists in the world. And uh, there was a certain Christian scholar that used to debate him on a regular basis. They would regularly have public debates on issues um, of atheist versus Christian debates. And so they would regularly, you know, point, counterpoint, debate, back and forth. And um, to be honest, sometimes you don't accomplish a great deal in a debate. Sometimes you do nothing to influence the person in a public debate, even though you think, wow, I really got him. And there's a book that was written about this famous atheist by this Christian debater, and they had regularly met each other, talked backstage quite often, were good friends. And he said, you know what? All of the things that I ever told him about Christianity, the Bible, Jesus Christ, never had an effect on him. But he said, one day, the one thing that really affected him and broke him down, said one day he came to me and began to ask me questions about my little girl. And he said, I had adopted a little girl from Russia who was special needs and had all kinds of health problems. And he did not understand why I did that. And so he would take me privately backstage and he would say, why would you do that? Why would you take this little girl who doesn't have a chance to have a normal life? She's got all these health problems. She's got no hope. And you take her from Russia and raise her as your daughter. He said, I don't understand. And he said, I told him that what I did for that little girl is what Jesus did for me. He took me when I was helpless, when I had no hope, when I was disfigured by sin. And he said, you are my son. And he said, by raising that little girl and loving that little girl, that's the one way in life that I've been able to show that man what the love of Christ is. And the one time he understood. Let's close on our prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Lord, this message is for those who are broken, ashamed, guilty, struggling with isolation, Lord. Lord, I pray that this message would help them come out of their isolation and their shame and their guilt, Lord, and find a Savior who will love them better than any father could ever love them, Lord. To the father, to the fatherless. Lord, you love those who have nobody else, Lord God. Lord, let us have that same spirit, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. You're watching today before we close in a worship song. I just want to ask you. 
Have you ever found a place for the shame, the guilt, the um, the pain, the isolation? The Lord wants to cleanse you like He cleansed this woman. He wants to pick you up out of the dust and He wants to tell you that not only are you valuable, you're like Jairus' little girl. You're my only little girl that I have. I love you. You're worth something. You're valuable. Your life is not hopeless. Your life is not over. Your life is just beginning because you're going to live in eternity with me. God wants to give you hope today. And if you um, if you need prayer, in fact, I just want to tell, I'm going to tell you my phone number. I shouldn't do this over social media. Should I? We'll post it. But if you need prayer, I want you to respond to our Facebook. Um, Contact me. I want to pray with you. I want to lead you to the Lord. And um, if you're at your house this morning, you say, man, I just want to get right with God. I want to give my heart to the Lord. Just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm tired of bearing the shame of my life, the guilt, the pain. The unforgiveness, Lord, the hurt. Lord, I just want to lay it all down. I'm tired of living in isolation. I want to know you, Lord. I want you to begin to heal me, make me whole. Lord God, forgive me of all my sins. Lord God, cleanse me today. Lord, I believe what you said. As many as receive you, to them gave he power to become sons and daughters of God. Lord, do it today, Lord. Bless those who are listening, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.